water. Earth. Fire. Air. Welcome to Bending the Elements. A production by the Novice Elitist Podcast. With your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. A podcast about all things Avatar. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, those in between and affiliated. If you're listening to this, it means that we are dead. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We have (laughs) finished the... Over or we have finished book three, Fire, uh, of Avatar: Last Airbender, and we are going to do our, I guess, celebratory. I don't know, celebratory is the word, but I guess tacked on uh, after the fact overview of the entire book, uh, for whatever that may be. I mean, yeah, we've uh, we continued to experiment with this. We've only, this will be our our third one doing it, so we're still trying to figure out how exactly to format something like this. It's it's so, so, so be kind to us <laughs> if it's a little unwavery. No, 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 You guys can like, you know, hammer us down like a nail to you guys' <laughs> hammer, the audience's hammer. I get it. If like uh, you guys had, you know, three times, you have, you have had three tries. <laughs> it's time you're out. So, but let's begin with the obvious, the biggest obvious, you know, glaring thing out there. Unless Caleb is like, what are you talking about? Mm. And he's like, it's not a glaring issue. Back in um, the Phoenix King, yeah. Isaac, you had given a whole spiel about something about deus ex machina. What the hey was that about? Well, energy bending and the lion turtle. Let's uh, let's talk about it. Is the lion turtle and energy bending a deus ex machina? Hmm. Especially you as a writer. Like, you are a writer more than I am. Um, Is this out of complete nowhere? I think looking at the way that they've structured this series, every season or every book, I should say, ends with an escalation of how the the spirit world interacts with the Avatar. And so coming to this finale, it it feels in tradition with that that thing. So in that way, it doesn't feel necessarily like it's uh, coming out of nowhere. But in terms of the fact that it saves Aang from his whole series long, or I guess season long, maybe maybe series long, uh, moral quandary of uh, killing the Fire Lord. It's just coming in there <laughs> so close to the end to solve it for him. Maybe you could say that, yeah, that's kind of deus ex machina. But I, it, it fits for me. Because it's not like the ending of Return of the Jedi where uh, it's Luke's speech to Vader that sways him to turn against the Emperor. There is no way around that in uh, in that film where Luke learns something, you know, some secret Jedi technique to prevent Palpatine from blasting lightning at him. Um, this was different where, yeah, literally like <laughs> the boatman, the boatman literally uh, guiding Aang towards, you know, where the, where he will face the fire Lord gives him, a, I, that would still be a day. Could you imagine like, if it was a boatman, like if we took it literally as the fact that the lion turtle is a boatman, you know, more than meets the eye, of course. Like he was just a regular boatman, and he gave Aang some wisdom and advice and some knowledge. 
would that have translated better or would that again have just seemed like the like a Deus Ex Machina? Well, I, I guess I turn it around on you. Do, do you think it feels like a Deus Ex Machina? I don't want to believe it is because they have seeded the lion turtle subtly around yeah. the entire series. But one could also make an argument of like, well, it's freaking out of nowhere. Like, like, well, like all of a sudden this, this creature that we had no prior knowledge that existed, same with everything else, I guess, in this planet, uh, all of a sudden just pops up out of nowhere and gives Aang the meat, like literally gives him the answers to the test of like, okay, so you can't beat him in battle. Now, to be fair, he didn't use the, like, I don't know if he needed to use the avatar state in that, but Aang didn't use the avatar state in that, in that case. He only used it at the very end. Yeah. To prevent the killing blow. And I guess it was at that moment when he knew Ozai was down for the count. He had basically Ozai, like, you know, in the, in the fetal position, like he had him in the beginning of the episode. Um, and he was like, all right, he's, he's, you know, at his, his weakest point, he's now like vulnerable. So now is my time to, you know, use this knowledge. Um, now, I think obviously the knowledge could have been. Like how it worked, I think is fine. It's just maybe people don't like the the idea of the means of like okay, it came out of nowhere. Like if he had been experimenting with this idea for like a whole season or something like that, then it wouldn't have come out of nowhere. Well, uh, well, maybe this is maybe this is an excuse, but we don't really know the the lion turtle what their connection is with bending abilities, at least right now, in terms of us. Oh, and I'm going to get to that. Maybe it could sense that Aang was in such a place that he needed, he was at a pivotal point and he needed this kind of respite from the rest of the world to kind of spiritually center himself. And so that's why it appeared and, and drew him to it. Um, but I mean, do people like, do people say the guru, was he a deus ex machina when he showed up? I mean, it was a similar kind of dynamic there as well. That's a good point. So th- th- that's why I say it feels like an escalation of what they've done previously i think it's with the guru at least like had a moment of like him being introduced with um uh with uh appa's lost journey or no sorry um it was appa's lost days sorry appa's lost days um mm. just at the end there and giving ang a message to know know about so it's like okay so he's you know a wise man he's a very wise person is it going to help Aang in his spiritual journey? And there's that idea that like, you know, it's the whole universe itself is kind of giving Aang this almost where like the, the whole world is so out of, out of balance that, you know, in comes this catalyst to the balance of like, okay, here's the means of how Aang can kind of restore it in a nonviolent setting. Um, let's, here you go. So, Again, I, I accept it, but I could also see the argument of it being a deus ex machina. Now, to be fair, I believe this was from the very beginning. Like, this was supposed to happen. Like, I'm pretty sure they were going to have Aang use energy bending to remove uh, Ozai's bending from him. So that was always the case. Um, I think that was, like, one of the cases from day one, or at least early on in the days. Because, um, yeah, we're just going to kill a person in, on live TV. <laughs> Um, but another piece that I, I think makes it work is, like I said, near the end of every season, I feel like we have an escalation of the world that we think we know, it turns out has the, the spirit component introduces this whole new wild card. And 
expands it out further. I like that when we come to the very end of the show, it's like it it's still expanding. It's not that it's reached its kind of, oh, we we've we figured out everything there is to know about this universe. No, there there's still so much more unseen and just in this tiny pocket of, of Aang's life that we get to live with him. That the there's still so much more to go. I think that's great. Like you thought that the human world was, was it like the final frontier? No, like we haven't even stepped into the larger world. That is like the spirit world and what these people or what that whole, what that whole like side of the planet is about. Um, especially like again, where Ang mentioned that the lion turtle himself is neither spirit nor animal. Hmm. Yes, almost like something older. From a different age. Primordial, almost. Now, where you could say they did cheat is the fact that we saw the exchange with them in the previous uh, previous episode. I guess it wasn't even the previous episode. It was one before, I think. Part two of Sozin's Comet. The Old Masters. Yeah, yeah. So the cheat is that we saw their exchange, but they left stuff out. I, they left it out for their reveal purposes, uh, but uh, that that does feel like a slight like, hey, come on, what's going on here? Yeah, selective editing seems a little unfair. But <laughs> they they didn't they chose not to reveal all the information to the audience. Yeah, so when we get to the end of the episode, and Aang's like, uh, like Momo, I've made my decision. You know, I need to go. I need to like press forward with, and we're like, oh, he's 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 gonna go kill the Fire Lord. Like we we've been uh, Phoenix King watching him come to, but yeah, they they kind of tricked us. Maybe he knew all along that that was what he was gonna try to do. So does that mean that if if Ang did know this, why would like I guess the def- like looking back on it now, his whole defense like you know he was he was retreating. He was always in like def- on the on the back foot. He was always defending or like you know retreating and whatnot. Was it him just because he didn't know he was going to get like the Avatar state was complete fluke and coincidence. Like that was literally like a complete accident. So I guess, but I guess he just took that opportunity, right? Yeah. It it just, yeah, it ended up working out for him. (laughs) I guess really much. So like had he not been blasted back um, and poked in the place he shouldn't have been in poked in. Yeah. Things would have ended turned out a lot worse. Yeah, and maybe um, speaking about some of the the things that maybe feel like we're not sure how they handled it. How do we feel overall? And I think this has been a con- consistent trend. I believe this came up in all of our prior overviews. I I know for sure it came up in the first one because I recently re-listened to that. But I think we had the same thing in the second one. How do we feel about Aang's character progression? Do you, do you feel like it was handled better this time around in the third uh, season? Do you feel like they had a good arc for him that was kind of answered satisfactorily? Well, they didn't. Yeah. Well, okay. What's his arc exactly? Was his arc to, well, well, his arc is to beat the Fire Lord. Well, he did it. <laughs> Beating him without killing him. So, sure. On paper, yes. But there's a lot of nuances that make us go, well, there may have been some fudging of of details yeah so let's yeah maybe let's go through it we we begin the season with him in uh in healing mode after a big loss at the end of the prior season things kind of yeah he's left scarred after that turned out 
no avatar state till the very end yeah and um is it almost from the beginning of the season that he starts to worry about his confrontation with the fire lord it's been a while since we covered some of this (laughs) nightmares and daydreams nightmares and daydreams is where it uh starts uh but like the lead up to that like before the day of the black sun not so much Hmm. they they don't and I don't know if this is Aang or if this is the writing itself doesn't write in that, well, that, that like doesn't, doesn't write in that dilemma, I think. Cause like, yeah, well, it is Aang, but like the writers should have, I guess, written that dilemma in book three as it was like nearing the end or not even nearing the end. Well, they did, but as it was starting there, it's like, okay, so now this is your time to start firebending, right? Um, this means that you're going to kill the fire Lord, correct? Um, but I guess if we don't look at it from a meta perspective, um, it does start in nightmares and daydreams and yeah, when he realizes, you know, he kind of gets left, let off the hook. It's like, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. You just mentioned about the fire bending. So we, we've seen throughout this whole series that Aang is lax when it comes to his bending progression. He seems to frequently just not care that much, or maybe like he's purposely trying to avoid it. Like he just doesn't want to face the fact that he's eventually going to have to use this in a big battle. And so when it comes to finding a firebending teacher, uh, they tried, but, you know, it it didn't seem like they were trying desperately hard. And so I don't believe he fully begins his firebending until like episode 13 i think it was the firebending masters when they officially begin uh would you agree with that or or is it in the the western air temple i can't remember which one why did i think it was 16 for some reason but yeah no i think it was in the firebending masters where if we're not counting way back in the deserter in book one that is the first time where he willingly and with passion and like by, by his own volition firebends without being scared at the end of that episode yeah and then we get like we see that there's a number of diversions in between and then i don't know like five episodes later uh, the phoenix king he's already shirking it off a little bit like i just want to have beach parties i don't want to worry about firebending and and turns out i've canceled my plans to uh, attack the fire lord on the the day of the sozin's comet yeah because i mean to be fair they at least covered their bases in the boiling rock where uh, when Zuko and Sokka went out to the boiling rock, he left a note saying, Aang, do your practices. Mm-hmm. Not that that means anything, but at least gives us like, okay, so he has been practicing in between this time. I can believe that. Um, again, not enough though, because out of all the elements, this is the last one he learns. And when I, we say last, like very last one, like late into uh, his season, I believe. Very late. Because at least in, I believe it was episode eight, Bitter Work, when AIM starts, in, in book two, excuse me, starts earth, earthbending and like successfully earthbends by the end of that episode. Again, basic stuff, but like at least starts. So it's a whole season there and he uses some of his knowledge in the end of the season. But yeah, this is like, all right, kind of, you know, quickly, quickly grinded and was kind of beat the boss under leveled but the fact that he also had like you know um kind of a win state or you know had a super mode or devil trigger excuse me he was able to beat him 
Yeah, so in terms of his progression in mastering the four elements, it's always been a little bit slapdash, but when it comes to the firebending side of it, maybe feels like they put the least attention on it, and maybe maybe they just couldn't help it the way that they structured the season for when Zuko was going to pair up with him. It just didn't work. But, ah, yeah, it, it that feels a little bit unsatisfactory. <laughs> Unsatisfactorily? I, I don't know. Unsatisfied. Caleb's unsatisfied. There you go. Yeah, and, and that's probably been the weakest element of this entire show is Aang learning to, to master the elements. Would you agree, do you think? Yes, but I wonder, I don't know if I should say this for the like the series overview, but I wonder if that was the point. I may, maybe um I don't <laughs> I don't want to say like, you know, come like a you know, YouTube video come across saying like, "Oh, this is secretly brilliant what they did." It's like, see, <laughs> oh no. Children like children can't learn the stuff. Never put your faith in teenagers and stuff like that. Yada yada yada. Like, well, oh, no. it's like <laughs> I don't know. Oh. See, I literally don't want to get that meta and think that this was like their idea from the start, or if they literally just like this is just a I, I, how do I how do I put this? This was like just a flaw in the writing. I don't want to say flaw in the writing, but I think it was. I think they were they had so many they had so many ideas that at a certain point the Aang having to actively be training just became kind of a kind of a frustrating note that they would be like, okay, well, we'll, we'll slap it into the beginning of some episodes, but ah, it's kind of a hindrance to, to story episodic story to, to constantly have to reference and worry about him training up. And then with Zuko's arc, which I would argue, I think almost every season we, we highlight that Zuko was maybe the stronger character arc. It just maybe didn't work out to link them up sooner until after the day of the black sun. So yeah, it just, yeah, maybe just unfortunate luck for them that worked out the way it did. Yeah. The, like, I guess my question is, and again, this is for the overview. Could they have used more episodes? Uh, hmm. Is this like a, is this a problem with like, are we, are we seeing like a compressed storytelling almost? Well, they have 21 episodes a season. 20 so maybe oh was it just 20 for the other ones there's there's only 20 this was the one that had the extra episode Mm. yeah so 20 episodes a season maybe the issue comes down to how much to use the episodic format versus the uh the serialized format maybe that was an issue but yeah you might be right this might be going more into the series overview which by the way we are planning to do this is meant to just be focused on book three but of course the issues of book three continue from book one and book two. So it's hard not to mention them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, well, we have an idea plan for that, but anyway, I'll maybe we'll put a pin in this one and save that yeah, one. For fair later. point. It definitely does make me question. Yeah. If, if this was given too short of a, of a series uh, episode counts. Um, but I mean, that's not here to ask, but either way, uh, I, I agree that it's not poorly written. I cannot say that, but there was definitely some sacrifices and some yeah things that they had to flubber to get Aang to the end of beating the fire Lord. And yes, the firebending, um, mastery air quotes <laughs> was not 
you know, in our eyes, looked at in a great way. It was not achieved in the best of ways, but I'm still, you know, even though I agree that it objectively probably doesn't work or all too well, it's, I still am satisfied with the overall result. Yeah, the actual progression of him as a firebender didn't feel hugely natural, but the kind of main plot for, for Aang this, this season, and maybe it's also a flaw that his central character arc doesn't get introduced until episode nine nightmares and daydreams with his worries about whether he's going to kill the the fire lord or not that overall plot i think they handled very well and yep in a very satisfactory way so yeah no definitely um or at least even if it didn't start with like murdering the fire lord it was still confronting him that was the problem well i guess it's the same thing um so that was satisfying that uh, they actually accomplished that. They accomplished uh, Aang, even though we were, we kind of realized, well, you know, you could technically kill the guy. Um, he was like, nope, not doing it. So he had an opportunity to change and he didn't. He stuck by what he wanted to do and, you know, said, I'm sparing the guy's life. And he did in a, in a way of, you know, with this, with his new power that he discovered or this new knowledge and he, yeah, he, he was able to do it. So, yeah, we, we've seen so much of Aang struggling with the fact that he never really like the Avatar ship. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. The mantle of the Avatar. It wasn't something that he was chose. It was just put on him. And all this responsibility, all this expectation was hoisted on him. And, and it never really like he at times never really felt like it fit him. And so now to fully be pushed in, into you know his biggest moral quandary to be like if if i'm the avatar then i'm really going to be the avatar it's me that makes the decisions not whatever my responsibility tells me i'm supposed to do that's a really big thing for Aang's character and feels uh, like it's been uh fulfilled for like it's been a big part of the show through all the books and to have this ending for him i think is is great characterization it's just been some stuff around the edges that's been a little bit more flawed. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, you could also say like, you know, nothing in war is ever clean or clear. Uh, and this is the same thing where you have to all of a sudden quickly learn a skill that you really don't have a lot of knowledge in. So they, they really had to push the timeline and fudge a few things. And again, if that's a commentary or if that's a, if that's a comment on, on something, I, I don't know. Like maybe it is, but just, you know, child soldiers or something like that, or children in war and how they're affected by it. Definitely could go there. But uh, in the end, yeah, Aang sort of kept his childlike innocence. Sort of. Yeah, he held on to it for as long as he could until he realized that it was time to be an adult. And. Yeah, that's that's kind of where we left it. And he did definitely make a adult choice of leaving the Fire Lord alive. I mean, that's not it's not something like he at, at least with the, the the energy bending, that was a good notion of you know, this man has no power. I stripped away the very thing that makes him a threat. Uh, I have neutered him, whatever you want to call it. I've lobotomized him. <laughs> he is no longer a threat. So you know, he has no power. The Emperor is not wearing any clothes. Hmm. Um, but I guess switching up 
heavy uh, direction from away from from Aang. I guess let's move to the secondary lead, which is Zuko. We've already touched touched on him a little bit, but uh, I guess we start this season with him in the midst of his betrayal. He's spending his time in the the Fire Nation capital and trying to live the dream that he's been wanting this whole series to finally be the prince again, not the banished. Uh, yeah, kind of stain on the Fire Nation, but this this honorable prince. And now that he's finally gotten what he strived for for so long, he realizes that maybe that just isn't who he is anymore. Maybe he's become something different. And seeing that character arc, me and you both, I, I think we were we were just so captured by a lot of the stuff that was happening with that. And then to see him become a, a part of, of the boomerangs, oh man, it's I think it is the 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 highlight of this book three. All that stuff is so good. He started off getting all he ever wanted in the beginning. Turned out wasn't what he wanted. And then upon a realization that, you know, his true nature realized that he was working with the bad guys the whole time. And did the one thing that could redeem himself, and that is to train Aang in the ways of firebending. And as a reward, he becomes the Fire Lord in the end to lead the people in a different direction. I don't think this is. I I don't. I don't know if there was some fudging. Maybe there was, but I'm ultra satisfied. I am satisfied, and I think that one. That that storyline ended off um, pretty cleanly, yeah. Like without much. Like it was it was ugly to watch. I'll say that of him having betray his uncle in the end of book two, yeah. But I think it was definitely necessary growth of him getting a taste of what he always wanted. Yeah, and to answer I, at least it, from my recollections, I don't feel like there was any fudging. I feel like the Zuko stuff throughout this entire series has been handled with a lot of grace and a lot of thoughtfulness. And I would argue that even when it comes to prioritizing his arc over Aang's, I feel like they've done that a couple times, seemingly. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was wondering whether they, at one point in the writing process, they're like, oh yeah, Zuko's way more of an interesting character with his arc. Like that's that's a lot more of a, yeah, no, we, we need that. Or we we're, this is like, not easier, but this is a lot more fun to write than what Aang's doing with. So it's like, if that was the case well i mean hey there people are satisfied and and maybe again this this might be for the series overview but i feel like the thing that was always exciting about zuko is even though he would constantly find himself making mistakes he was never like an avoider like ang was constantly trying to just push things aside and deny whereas zuko it was like he he couldn't do that he always had to try to find ways to press forward to find some path out of the, the, like the self-hatred that he had. And so occasionally that would make him put him in positions to make really bad choices or, you know, be a, a violent arm of the fire nation, uh, but making the active choice to be like, okay, you know, even though I've strived so hard to get in the good grace of my father, now I'm going to make the active choice to build up the guy who's going to kill you. That was such a powerful scene. And then his, his first confrontation with him, like, oh man, so many just stellar moments in this this book for, for Zuko. 
And when we come down to, I think I already said this, when we come down to our favorite episodes, the ones that particularly focus on his arc, I think are going to be some of the, the major highlights for this, this book as well. You know, that's another thing where it's like, remember in the beginning of book one, uh, or book one, sorry, in the beginning of book three, uh, we had Aang, you know, very, very low, where there was a point where we were going to have the reverse of fortune almost, where Zuko was going to be the carefree relax guy uh, in the living in the Fire Nation again. And Aang was going to be the one to where he said, I need to restore my honor. Now, I guess, I guess that technically, sorry for going back to this, but I guess technically he went by that with the Day of the Black Sun. Mm-hmm. And then kind of just forgot about that. Because <laughs> I, I wish, I actually do wish now that they, they had done that, where Aang was very like hard on himself and kind of realizing, oh, I messed up. I got killed. I got, I, and I have this second chance. Third chance. He had third chance. You know why? First one was when he went to the Avatar state in the first place and he froze himself for a hundred years. That was his first, that was his like first chance, maybe second chance, I guess in this one, his second chance was, you know, the spirit oasis water. So it's like, I've gotten two of these now. I can't like fudge this anymore. I guess his third chance is maybe like the fact that the day of the black sun didn't go too well because of, you know, insider information. And so, like, I, I guess, yeah, he really, yeah, I guess they, they kind of, I, I wish they kept going with that where, because we do have, well, I'm sorry, I repeat myself, but yeah, the Zuko's just living it up in the Fire Nation now, so Aang's the one to, you know, really directly confront all that, that he's, he's caused, whereas it started to, within Zuko's nature himself, being like, you know, being out at sea, and being out in the world was like, ah, this doesn't feel right anymore. Until Uncle revealed the information about his lineage. Or he was like, oh, no wonder I'm always in conflict with myself. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's another thing with him. Even when we see him in like his, his downturn period when he's returned to the Fire Nation, and he's trying to come to terms with, okay, I accomplished my goals. He's still trying to press forward with his uncle to constantly visiting him, even though it's probably making him feel even more miserable with himself. <laughs> he still has to, to try to progress somewhere with that. Yes. No, no choice in that one. He has to, there's no choice. Like it's, it's eating away at him. He, even though he's satisfied it, there's one person that has to accept him for who he is. And that's his uncle in, in that scenario, excuse me, where it's like, no, l- listen, uncle, this is the right way of going, uh, doing things. And well, it's not, <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, 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 It's <laughs> Zuko trying to tell himself this in a mirror the whole time. That's, that's greatly what they do with Iroh. Yeah. I, I have no idea how, what the season was going to entail with, with, um, oh. if, if M- Mako had, uh, not passed away yet. I think it all largely would have still been the same. I think the direction they did do with uh, Uncle being kind of in the background, yeah, was the smart way to go ultimately. Yeah, it just made sense. Yeah, that eventually Zuko would have to stand on his own. And I guess in that sense, if I can just briefly um, side trail with the Order of the Pie Show players, 
Mm. That was that was also like another, I guess, the, the lion turtle in, in Zuko's story, or I guess Iroh's story, of except he knew this the whole time that he was, and that was seeded through. Like, and I think they made a lot more hints, blatant hints, blunt hints to hints, excuse me, towards uh, him being part of this secret organization, or at least yeah. something. Oh, especially back in book two for Pit Six when they're you know in the desert and then they you know get tickets to go to Bossing Say or get you know new uh, identity excuse me so it's like yeah that was that was a lot more set up than i guess the lion turtle was subtly set up in the background so really yeah zuko's story is the perfected and iroh's story excuse me is the perfected version of ang's story that frustrates me though that you know they got zuko's story perfected almost but they couldn't do it with ang's and i'm like ah because he's the main character but I'm glad that Zuko is the like secondary character or secondary main character. Cause if it was just, I, I could Zuko's story sustain an entire show. Yeah. It might've been too heavy. I think the lighthearted childlike nature of Aang during all this really, this really uh, broken world, I think just makes this show always fun and inviting to return to. But the more that we discuss it, the more I can kind of see why the writers would fall onto uh, developing Zuko more because it's, I, I imagine it's tough to feel like you're constantly progressing a character who part of their per, part of their character is that they don't want to progress like Aang like willfully chooses to avoid being an active character at most turns whereas someone like Zuko is always pushing towards it because he has that desperate need to to find some sort of peace Aang is almost already at peace in a way even though all this stuff is going on around him, he can like retreat into his own childlike uh, view of the world and just be like, oh, that, you know, I don't, I'll worry about tomorrow when we get to tomorrow. I can just have some fun today hanging on this beach and, you know, forgetting that I eventually have to face this fire lord. Live life to the fullest, as he says, you know, tomorrow's tomorrow. Like, don't worry about it. And maybe that also just is another comment on like, you know, that he's from a different time. Like he still has yet to adjust fully, fully adjust to, you know, the time era he's in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do see the utility of that. And especially for a kid's show, having such a, someone that maybe the kids can relate to, I think in that way, cause Zuko, his story, I'm sure most kids, you know, don't have that kind of, uh, I mean, who wants to, if you're imagining like, Oh, I want to be an avatar. Like if I want to, if I want to play avatar on the playground, who wants to be the banished prince Zuko, who was the villain chasing after the hero for so long? Yeah. Or and whose dad, you know, abuses him or abused him. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, to be fair, I think there are people out there who can relate to Zuko. Yeah, maybe they don't want to say it. <laughs> well maybe they don't want to face it. Or they can't say it. Yeah. So so everyone wants to be Aang. That's that's why you put Aang at the front of your show. Because who doesn't want to be able to fly around and have fun and have these uh, have your little flying lemur pet and you know it's it's a great fantasy living that life. Oh yeah, as opposed to Zuko. Absolutely, I, that's why I said he was my favorite character. But yeah, secondary is still like I think between Zuko and Iroh. Yeah, but let's uh, maybe switching away from Zuko. Let's focus on uh, who who should we discuss next. For their character for book three the uh original secondary main character well no i guess yeah he was always a secondary main character but our third tertiary character main character is katara hmm. uh 
Katara for this book. Hmm. Uh, take take it away. I, I'm not sure what to say with her. Well, uh, we see her at the forefront uh, confront things. She's in enemy territory finally, and we see her imitate a spirit, uh, and you know, mm. kind of want to protect this th- these people from the fact that they're being abused by their own country. Uh, and she can't stand that, so she takes the guise of a spirit, a local spirit, to bring joy to them, I suppose, and also cause some eco-terrorism. Yeah, which is a continuation of stuff that we've seen from her since book one. Oh, yeah. Still working in that same mode and maybe making similar mistakes than she has in the past. I mean, again, I got to be careful with that. And it's like, you know, <laughs> what would I do in that situation? And is this really the case? And also, are we being... Uh, you know, sexist. That's the, that's the question. Are we being sexist because she's a girl? I don't. I don't think so. Okay. In that re- regard, we we are trying to look at it from a writing perspective and yeah, you know, dissociate the fact that both are. I mean, we freaking came down hard on Aang, so I'm pretty sure we can not uh, the same way, but we could also like you know be critical uh, and analyze Katara's story. Yeah, but definitely, I think trauma is the maybe one of the words to give her this season yeah i guess in some ways it's instead of finding a new direction and kind of giving her a a full character arc it's just kind of continuing on the stuff that we've seen previously um yeah as you mentioned the painted lady repeating some similar tactics that she's used in the past maybe maybe not the pretending to be a spirit but coming into a town and seeing its woes and deciding that she's going to be the one to to fix it uh, we saw that in Imprisoned, and um, oh, there, there was one in book t- two as well. I can't remember which one it was. Or maybe there wasn't. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> there was, yeah, there was the, uh, what, yeah, whatever that one was. Or well, yeah, whatever the Haru's Village one. I forgot. I'll, I'll remember that later. Yeah, Imprisoned. Oh, Imprisoned, thank you, yeah. Um, not Avatar Day. Maybe we're just wrong with that. It was that like that only one. <laughs> Could be. <sighs> Yeah, no, I, I feel like it did come up later, but I I just can't place it. <laughs> Not on Mashu, hilariously enough. Well, hilariously enough, but she didn't liber. She wasn't calling for the liberation of Omashu. because that was King Boomy intentionally deciding. All right, well, I'm gonna wait and see as to what happens, which he did. Um, well, it sounds like me and you both need to return to uh, our discussion of the Painted Lady. I'm sure we had more context then that was quite a while ago now that we recorded that <laughs> you know almost uh well it's been this it was this year but yeah like the beginning quite some time ago yeah exactly it's like february i think oh my goodness yikes <laughs> yeah my oh me oh my um but those those ideas came back yeah. and well yeah no it's um i guess to elaborate on what i said with trauma i'm not trying to you know avoid conversation yeah. like that but let's but if what i meant originally though was trauma is that she's either a sit like a trauma eater, you know, she's she's absorbing people's trauma, or she's dealing with her own trauma, especially when it comes to the puppet master. Excuse me, puppet master. Yeah, yeah. Because I guess she mainly plays, and even more so in the background than in in book two, but an assistant character to Aang, especially when he's dealing with his struggles at the beginning of this series with his uh, his scars, mental and physical. She's the one healing him with her, her healing abilities and then trying to counsel him at the same time. And yeah, I guess she only really gets two episodes that are really focused on her with 
the Painted Lady and the Puppet Master. Oh, there's one more. Don't worry, there's a third oh. trauma episode. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'll be curious to hear which one that was. Oh, you remember. Do not forget. You definitely remember. It is uh, the Southern Raiders. Southern Raiders. Oh, no, I, I am forgetting this one at the moment. It's your favorite one. Oh, remind me. <laughs> it's the one where Katara has the opportunity to, with Zuko's help, get revenge over oh. the man that killed her mother. Thank you. Yes. No, that that was a very, yeah, definitely. And yeah, feeding more into the, yeah, building upon the traumas, compounding. And I guess we saw her development in her, her bending abilities, learning the blood bending and then learning not to use it when the time comes especially especially the fact of like the introduction of bloodbending yeah and yeah so i guess she has that little arc continuing her ability to use her power and confronting some of her her past and i remember her and sakura were both uh just frustrated that they had to uh leave their father after just reuniting with him during the the day of the blacks or the day of uh was the black sun yeah and so there, there was, I feel like her arc uh, was much more in the background than maybe uh, previously. Um, but, but the stuff that we do get, I think, was 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 good. But I kind of wish we had a little bit more of it. You know, I almost wish, or I almost wonder if they had put, this would have been interesting. This would have been interesting. This is a series overview thing, but this is an interesting idea. What if they had the puppet master in book two? where Katara is, you know, she's she's advancing. She's, you know, starting to learn more stuff with waterbending. What if it wasn't enough? What if she's like, you know, I need to either keep up with Aang or, you know, these these guys are a little too strong. What if she starts using bloodbending in book two and three onward? Yeah, the only thing that makes me wonder is what would they, what would they have had her do in this book if they didn't have that before? <laughs> That's it would all culminate like maybe with with still with uh, the Southern Raiders. It all would have like especially seeing Zuko there. Somehow you could tie it all together where it's like she's been using it secretly whenever there's a full moon and it's you know pretty vile and whatnot. And she's kind of you know maybe this is the wrong way of going at things, but she's becoming the very thing she hates. And so finally, when she confronts that, which, you know, kind of originated her trauma, which is, you know, um, I forget his name, but the Southern Raider guy, um, that's where it like culminates. And she's she kind of like sees herself in the mirror and is like, oh, what have I become? Yeah, no, that. Yeah, m- maybe that could have worked. Uh, not saying it should have, but like, it's like, oh, yeah. I guess that could also worked. But um, no, what we got was probably a little bit better. Yeah, just in terms of. Maybe they wouldn't have had much for her to do otherwise, this this book, if that was kind of building more slowly in the background. But another thing as well with her is her betrayal, not her, but her thoughts and her, I guess her, her anger towards Zuko after they kind of, you know, opened up with each other uh, at the end of Crossroads of Destiny and how she's the one to, and we especially deal with this in Southern Raiders, uh, just not trust him. And, you know, like you're full of complete and utter nonsense for, you know, the fact that here you go, giving your sob story about your mother and whatnot and it's blah, 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 this and that, your trauma. And then all of a sudden you, you know, actively you just go and portray us. It's like, I cannot trust you. You cannot be trusted. 
No. So if there's anything there where I think it definitely is a uh, is is a check mark, uh, gets the W there. I believe it's her arc with Zuko and learning to trust him, or at least him earning her trust. Absolutely. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, that that was definitely the standout I think for her character arc. This book is because uh, she had that real intense hatred for for Zuko, and for good reason. And I think the way that they they handled that was good for both characters really seeing that Zuko was willing to go to the edge to support his new friend, I think was, was great on both their parts. And especially in the very end uh, with her being there to help Zuko, despite the, this was insert, this was writers fully like inserting her literally to be in the same shot as when Azula is about to use lightning against Zuko like that was a little bit like, okay, I don't know about that, <laughs> but where they went with it, I accept. I definitely accept the fact that she's the one to subdue Azula and make her break down. Yeah. I'm very, very pleased with that. And her relationship with Aang, I think, um, you know, it had its issues and it was understandable that she was like, okay, let's maybe let's just wait until this war is, is dealt with. Like I can't, uh, I can't attach myself to you in that way during this. And that, that makes sense. Um, and I, I think it worked well enough. Well, I mean, we first get a kiss between the two of them in, um, what is it? End Day of the Black Sun. And of course, uh, Nightmares and Daydreams had that nice fake out of like him going in for that huge smooch. I um, <laughs> did not get it. But um, no, in this one, it's uh, yeah he initiates it and then it gets ugly in the Umbra Island Players episode. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but then she's like, all right, let bygones be bygones. Uh, come here, sucker. The the sentence is kissing. Yeah, now that things are finally... She doesn't have to worry that at the end of this war, Aang is just going to be a corpse in the corner. So now she can fully dedicate her heart to him. Really? Interesting. That's that's where you're going with it, eh? Where she just does not want to like devote herself and put herself inside a corpse. Jeez. Well, I kind of think uh, in the middle of this fight, Maybe it'd be too much for either one of them. Like, I mean, if Aang had this victory, but he was, you know, in a relationship with Katara and something happened to her, would it really feel like a victory for him? I see. Okay. And then for, for her as well. Ah, I see. Lovers in a dangerous time. Yeah. Fair enough. The, that's c- kind of what I took her hesitation as. But Yeah, no, I guess that I just thought, like, maybe she just wasn't ready as a person. Like, she just wasn't ready. Like That could be. Yeah, I mean, like, I no, she did have the hots for jets, um, but like, <laughs> I no, I mean that seriously. Like, we did see her yep. have those rosy cheeks against. Oh yeah, uh, for for jets, um, but of course, <laughs> think of it as remember the fortune teller. She said, "You will marry a powerful bender." <laughs> uh, so that at least I was happy that came true, but no, I, I I guess I just saw it as she wasn't ready, like as a person. As a teenager, for pit's sake, she's like, I'm not really ready uh, at this point. So I really hope that that wasn't, even though I'm all for that relationship, I'm really hoping it wasn't forced. <laughs> no, I, I think they handled it pretty well. Um, but just since we're getting close to an hour, um, what do we think about uh, the next couple uh, here? We have we have Toph. Do you feel like she got very much this season? Um, before we do that, if you, if you, if you'll let me, I, I just thought of something else for Aang that I am actually satisfied about. And that is, uh, I th- maybe I said it before, but I, I love his, I guess, closure with firebending. 
Uh, I think I may have mentioned that, but I like how, and then hey, this is a series overview thing, but how he, you know, tries to cheat the system and, you know, before even fully mastering or at least fully understanding concept of waterbending, he goes for firebending immediately when he has the opportunity to. And then it like, you know, backfires right in his face. And so the, the fact that he's been scared of firebending this whole time and then it all culminates in the firebending masters and he is comfortable with it i think that is an absolutely ultra satisfying character arc yeah no i i, I agree i think they i think they definitely handled that aspect of it well okay uh as for Toph, um good question i you know i don't think we really get, other than the runaway we had the moment where I don't know if this was in the other episodes, but she was, you know, swindling everybody. She was, she was going on a whole gambling spree. Uh, and she was kind of doing this, like as Katara may have summarized, you know, doing this to like either get back at her parents or, or something else of similar ilk. And it ends with her wanting to send a messenger Hawk last time we'll ever see him uh, over to her parents uh, to just, you know, get a, get you, and we never, we never we never follow up on that that is another kind of um uh a little plot arc or a little plot left loose left hanging there we we never really find out what her relationship was with her parents uh her her big moment came in the end kind of with earth bending although i kind of also said i wish they earth metal bending excuse me in the last episode or season but i wish they kind of alluded to that more and they put more preference on that um, I guess maybe being a little more confident as well. We see her like, you know, in um, Phoenix King, we see her start sand bending. So as in terms mm. of like earth bending ability, she's actually coming up with more of her. She's, she's progressing, uh, which is really good. We see the beautiful demonstration when she, you know, covers herself in iron at the early, you know, that metal, metal door, excuse me, at the end of uh, old masters or whatever it was. So that was a, so far, like powers, like in terms of her skills, she's definitely, um, I guess, bettering herself and being more active with them. But in terms of her character story, her her journey, I guess she got the courage to write to her parents. But that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially it. We we talked a little bit about. It seemed like they were setting up very slight tendrils of a romantic connection with Sokka off of very little evidence. I think we were going off of that. I don't know if it really went anywhere. No, it was never further developed in this book. And yeah, she was just, she continued to be a very valuable uh, fighter on their side. But in terms of a yeah strong character arc, I really don't. I think her arc ended in uh, the runaway for this, this book. Yeah, because she didn't get a, as she said, she didn't get a uh, spiritual journey with Zuko. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of bummer. I would have loved to see what the two of them had. I mean, hey, I mean the other thing is she also had a kind of you know clinging to Zuko there. So she's just you know experimenting. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, we'll never know because they never developed it. Um, <laughs> Definitely passing ships in the night. But I guess let's yeah turn the the spotlight over to to Sokka. Um. Hmm. First half, he's the man with the plan. He is like solely intent on, uh, you know, getting everything ready for the day of the Black Sun. 
until they kind of forget about him, you know, being stricken to the schedule and then lightens up a bit. And then it goes back to like, all right, we got to get back to schedule. Um, he's all about the plan. We give him a sword. We give, we give him new skills uh, to better himself with. Uh, and I guess to further humble himself, excuse me. And he, you know, has spat, has a spat with his sister every now and then, whether it's with the uh, painted lady or it was the runaway or no, he was even in on the whole, you know, let's, let's go yeah. with this whole, like, you know, this little operation with that, that top is running. Let's, let's do that. When, you know, again, day of the black sun. What, what, what was that? What's that again? Yeah. It's like they, they had a good arc developing for him. And then at the end of the, the day, of the black sun, they kind of, they kind of stopped it. Um, I guess, I guess they, the boiling rock, I guess there was that there, there was kind of a, yeah, he was the man with the plan until the plan busted. And then there was a, a couple episodes after that, where he was kind of sad about the fact that his plan failed and trying to find a new direction. But then after it was solved and he'd made friends with Zuko, it was kind of like, okay, that's, that's what we got for Sokka this season. And I think overall that was, it was well done. It was just, uh, yeah, his arc kind of ended at episode 15. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I can tell you why, because after that, they reintroduced Suki, and that's all he was over. Like, he was all over her the whole time, and... That's fair. <laughs> you know, who, who's the man with the plan? Oh, uh, he's over there, like, you know, making out with his girlfriend. Yeah, I, that's fair, yeah. Maybe with the two of them, it just... Sokka's in a happy place now. Now he's got his, his girlfriend back. Just like, uh, you know what? I, you know, I don't have to be so strict in life. You know what? Like, I'm gonna, you know adopt Aang's philosophy of like, you know, live life to the fullest uh, with, you know, I, I, darn, I cannot like not stop myself from making certain jokes with between the two of, you know, Sokka and Suki, but you know, just, yeah, just, he's going to be hanging out with Suki and bond with their relationship. So, you know, got a sword, he lost his sword and potentially boomerang as well. Yeah. Um, Really, he should have, I guess, I'm not saying he should have lamented or been furious at Azula, but Azula should have been kind of his white whale or at least kind of haunting him for the fact that she, you know, kind of got rid of his plan. Like she countered his plan and he's like, I need to get her like I need to get back at her. So honestly, almost like Sokka should have been the one to not that I because I love the I love what they do with Zuko and, and Katara and how that, that all works out. But I think Sokka could also have backed Zuko up in that sense because his beef was with Azula getting or countering his plans with the day of the black sun. Cause he spent all that time coming up with that plan. He was proud of that plan. And then she goes and reveals, I, I knew about your plan this whole time. And we came up with a countermeasure to it. So he really should have been like angry at her. Yeah. Yeah, had like a personal vendetta against her or something. That, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that that could have been something. It does feel like his character just kind of stalled. Yeah, once Suki joined up with the group again. Yeah, you're right about that. Absolutely. So that's that's the frustrating thing. I don't want to obviously say that, but that's that's where uh, Sokka lands in this. So not as yeah, kind of also yeah, not really as satisfying as you know Zuko's arc was. No. Uh, then we mentioned his counterpart to that, uh, with the reintroduction of good old Suki. 
what did you think of Suki this season, my friend? Do you think she had a character? What was her character arc? And, you know, was it satisfied in the end? Do you think she you know, changed as a character by the end? Or what was it? No. I think as a just a, a package deal with, with Sokka, I think the two of them had some some charm. Occasionally some awkward dynamic where I was like, I don't know about these two. Some about them, like, like I remember in, um, oh, which episode was it where they were kind of bickering a little bit? Um, <laughs> I can't remember which one, but every now and again, was it the, was it Ember Island players? That's what I was thinking, but I couldn't remember the moment, but every now and again, they would have their kind of bickering moments, but that that's relationships. Um, but in terms of a, a, a real arc, uh, she just continued to prove her, her worth and her strength as a, a real tough, uh, tough lady. But in terms of a, a character arc, I'm not sure if there's much there. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, I'm also wanting to talk about it in the series overview, but let's just say, yeah, I really, was, I was hoping for more. I was really like hoping they'd give us something with Suki, and you know, also kind of her. We we kind of saw that we had she had that spat with Ty Lee, um, briefly on the Boiling Rock, where she got her, I guess, moment of revenge. Uh, but again, it should have been Azula. It should she should have gone after Azula in rage because she was the one that beat her and put her in the boiling rock. So she's like, um, she, again, she was her white whale. Like they all could have, you know, teamed up, or her and Zuko could have teamed up to be, you know, go after her for that reason. And yeah, really, it stinks because I don't want her to, you know, just be like, you know, she's a muscle or she's just another character. But that that is the case, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that that's pretty much pretty much all we get with her. And they also introduced a whole bunch of other parts of Team Avatar with the uh, uh, the Stone Temple pilots, and they as well were just kind of treated as as background. Yeah, no, that's that's sad because they they ha- it almost seemed like they had something going for them there, eh? And yeah, you know, it was like, oh, now we have a new addition to you know we have we have the Duke, we have Haru, and we have Teo. It's like, oh, what's this going to lead to? And it's just, yeah, background, just just background, and just those faces. It's like, and you know, kind of what Suki was, and then we had Suki in there. It's like, oh boy, so oh, and and even our pal from the Boiling Rock, yeah, Chit Singh, I believe. Yeah, Chit Singh. Yeah, that's right. He's gone, like just disappears. Not even in the end of the series. Just yeah, gets on that airship and just gets out of there. Yeah, and maybe they were just too ambitious. They had too much going on to accommodate all these characters that they were oh, yeah. bringing in. And yeah, it's it's too bad. Again, goes into the whole like, did they need more episodes? Yeah. By the way, I've been watching some random scattering episodes during this discussion from yep. book uh, book three. Smart. And I'm currently watching uh, Sokka's Master. And I've forgotten that the lion turtles are all over that. Oh, they are. Piando's place is just covered in them. Yep, <laughs> they are. So it's like, are people okay? I, I'm briefly like threw, a, threw it out there being like, hey, isn't that a lion turtle? There's even a couple shots that are framed from the perspective where the lion turtle's in the, the front of the frame. And so you, you can't help but look at it as uh, yeah, the rest of the stuff's happening in the background. So, <laughs> so good setup or just like in your face setup? <laughs> I don't know if it's good setup but it's definitely saying like hey you know maybe this is part of the world and especially when you're going back and rewatching the show you'd be like oh wow it was it was here all along oh yeah i don't think it's in the first episode but 
uh well it's in the on-air pilot if you remember i think ang like when ang does his little uh airbending moves in the on-air pilots i believe he's in front of a uh or yeah in front of or behind him is a lion turtle statue yeah and in in terms of maybe moving beyond our character uh, discussion because i think for iroh i think there's so little here but what is here maybe is better suited for our series overview discussion I'll, I'll leave it at that i guess the only other like ones as well i know we should move on uh is azula mm. yeah azula we definitely get a lot more exploration for her during this book yes and no because we kind of oh yeah we do yeah because we like like first we return like we we start with the fact that she this whole like bringing zuko in back to the fire nation is a gambit because if the avatar turns out to be alive, well, Zuko will get uh, all the blame put on him. So it's a win-win for her. And then she kind of goes into the background, and then we get a brief, you know, look at her character a bit in the beach. Mm. Um, and I guess we can also, I'll just use this excuse to bring up, you know, May and Tylee as well, given that we also kind of get a little more with their, uh, with, with their, I guess, characters. Yeah. Not very much at all with, with Tylee, except for, of course, her, uh, joint betrayal of Azula, which is a part of May's plot, really. Tylee, I mean, we get a little bit of her, but not too much. (laughs) Other than just being from... Potentially a group of sextuplets uh, and wanting to stand out from them. Uh, nothing else much there. Um, but May, she, I, I think, like, maybe, maybe it's not a lot, but I'm definitely defined by Zuko. And that's, yeah. I guess, also by Azula um, being caught between the two of them, where, yeah, her, even, even if he's lamenting and not going with the whole system and what the script says uh when it comes to you know staying at the fire nation you know doesn't even if he's betraying her like betray but just like having to leave her side she just i guess that's what she admires by him in, in that instance even after he's you know kind of nasty a bit towards her in the early on with uh the yeah. beach <laughs> uh but you know i i think may for the little that we do get with her and as you said, it is very much just a, again, she's almost an assistant character as well to, to Zuko. She's just a piece of his story, not really a story on her own. I still think that it stands out and I, I like their relationship, except for the toxic elements. <laughs> um, but I think that they, the way that the characters interact has charm to it. Yeah, no, definitely more than what we saw of in book two. In fact, it was kind of set up, you know, oh, yeah, these May and, and Zuko, they're, they were an item. Uh, and so we finally get to see that, actually. <laughs> finally yeah. get to see that. And, well, it's actually kind of just, like, kind of subverted in a way where it's like, oh, this is, ew, this isn't great. Yeah, because Zuko, I mean, he's messed up. He's not in a good position to be dating anybody. And, yeah, he puts that on her. And whether he's, you know, this is what the relationship ended off beforehand, before he got banished to sea, or this is like brand new from his time at sea. I, I really don't know. And it's and it's awkward. Like they they think they're gonna 
resume like like you know nothing nothing like everything's the same like we're just leaving we're, we're leaving uh we're, we're coming back right where we left off it's like oh i don't, I don't know about that yeah but for the more interesting character development i do think azula is quite interesting in this book and yeah i i feel like i kept being pulled back and forth and never fully knowing whether her bringing back zuko really was just a gambit to because in its way, what was the what was the gambit doing for? Her? Was it just personal spite? Because at times it felt like she did want to bring him back into the fold and try to reunite their family in some strange way, but she like didn't want to say it. It was more in her actions that made me feel like that was the case. I don't think so, man. I think this is the one time where I'm going to say I think you're reading a little too much into it because there's no instance of her ever wanting to have that nuclear family like oh look at us we are like you know stepford wives kind of angle i don't think so because you know her mother's not there anymore like she would have you know done to try to bring the image of her mother back i don't know like because just because we also never get that from her saying like oh yeah this is what i'm doing you know i'm with the whole azula always lies angle but that definitely is a way of looking at it but i don't know if i i don't know I think there are probably things that support your your ideas there, but I don't know if it's I don't know if there's anything there for to back it up. Uh, there there was just a couple scenes here or there when he when she would like come to him and it it would seem like she was there to like poke at him and like just be her usual self, but instead she would like give advice and try to be like almost a confidant. And occasionally she would turn that around and it would be like, oh, it seems like she's being kind of twisty i can't give full examples it's been too long but i feel like um when it came to that big war meeting i feel like she was more supportive there than maybe we'd seen her previously with him and maybe even during the beach as well she was pretty you know not at his throat yeah it it almost seemed like she was trying to get back to yes some some kind of dynamic with him i'm not i don't know i like i said i'm not fully sure of it either I just would occasionally get that vibe and and then when everything went wrong for her in the end, the fact that Zuko was the one to deliver it to her, maybe that made her crack even more than if it was just like Aang who was there and had stopped her. I don't know. Yeah, it was the fact that it was Zuko in the end that was the one subtly telling her uh, to, I guess, stop. Yeah, and I, I ultimately ended up feeling quite bad for her. It's... I mean, she was a victim of her her father just as much as Zuko was, just in a different way. Because, I mean, look how much inner turmoil Zuko had trying to please such a hideous man. I mean, we didn't really get to see that much into Azula's internal struggles. But the little bits that we did see with, with her mom, she thought of herself as a monster. And maybe that was becoming a monster to look good in her father's eyes because he himself was a monster. I mean, I don't condone anything that she did, however. No. I still, I still think she's a nasty piece of work, but she is absolutely, maybe not in the same sense, like, she's a victim of the system and, I guess, war. Uh, I don't know if it's as much as, say, the townsfolk of, you know, the Painted Lady. Uh, no. I think they, I think they're, like, they have, like, you know, worse lot of life, but, like, you know, they're, they're definitely suffering at the hands of them. But it's just like, yeah, it's just another ugly side of of war i suppose yeah and abusive parent that oh yeah molds you i mean her whole kind of infighting with zuko was shaped by him 
I mean, he would pit them against each other. By Ozai, excuse me. By Ozai, yes, their father. Sorry. And yeah, it's just intergenerational trauma and a cycle of hate uh, as well. So it's like, oof. Yeah, you, there, there's some part of me that I, I definitely do feel sorry for her, but that does not mean I don't condone or I, I do not like it. I condone anything she does. Yeah, and I completely understand why her two best friends who she always mistreated as well. Maybe she just, that's that's all she's known is just mistreatment. Oh, yeah. I run around to you. Like, I mean, that's the same thing with like when she was young, for pit's sakes, uh, when she um, was playing that joke on uh may and and zuko where she like you know burnt the apple on on may's head and zuko you know as a caring person like like literally she had either she knew that zuko was uh gonna save my or may excuse me she she like literally lit a thing on fire on her friend's head on fire like yeah who like maybe maybe like some knucklehead guys do that every now and then but there's, there's like, but she did it almost in like a sadistic way, or at least it seemed like she did yeah. it in a sadistic way. Like I would never do like, sure. Maybe I'd pull like, you know, a joke or two, but I probably expect to be getting back at. All right. Like by the, by the guys or some, or some lady or whomever. All right. I'd never sadistically do that to somebody. Yeah. And I, I think, um, they did a really good job making Azula a really interesting character that we just, I feel like we barely scratched the surface on and I would have liked to have seen a lot more. And, and as kind of the, the, I don't know, secondary villain, maybe not even secondary at a certain point. <laughs> She's just like the muscle by like in the, in the secondary villain, or I think like maybe main villain in the second book two, but like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's like not even secondary villain, just like the muscle uh, every now and then, because she was an obstacle in, Day of the Black Sun, and then hunting them post Day of the Black Sun, and then finally uh, being Zuko's rival at the end of uh, Phoenix or Susan's Comet. So, yeah, really not the same thing. Like driving force towards the end of the series, but that was it. Yeah, but I I think they did a really good job. Yeah, making me always interested in Azula. Whenever she was on screen, I was always curious to see what what she was going to do and what they were going to reveal from her. So, so I always liked that. I, I will say they definitely won me over for her as a as a interesting character uh, from when I was a teenager and or a younger adult, where I did not like her at all, and you know thought she was just a person who was you know more powerful than all the rest of the cast, and then realized, oh wait, that's the point. It's like, oh, that's cool. Uh, I get it now because she's more prepared than everybody else is. Um, but there's a cost. There definitely is yeah. a cost to that. So, uh, yeah, she's definitely a very good character in that sense. So, yeah, I'm satisfied with the way she ended it. And we'll get more into that maybe later. Uh, where would you like to go next, sir? Yeah, there's two more things that I have written down that are, I think, key to the overview. And I'm hoping we can squeeze them both in. Um, it's favorite episodes from book three. And then favorite chimeric beastie. Which one do you want to do first? Ah, yes. Uh, let's do our favorite chimeric beast. Well, I mean, if the lion turtle counts, although I, I mean, I, I think that's the obvious uh, pick for me. I, that thing, it's just so incredible looking. But 
I don't know if that's unfair. <laughs> uh, you can go with that one. There was one in early on. I said that it was a contender for me this season. I cannot remember which one it was, or this book. I cannot remember which one it was because it was such a beautiful beastie. I was like, oh my goodness, that's so adorable. I would love to have that as a as a you know animal uh, child, but I cannot. I did not do my research. I completely forgot what it was. So maybe that'll be the series overview. Um, Hmm. I would I would say what your favorite spirit was, but again, we kind of didn't really have any. Nope. Yeah. I mean, we saw Ko again, and Ko is a great design. But even that was just in flashback from a previous Avatar. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Just, just inferring what happened after the fact. Um, I mean, Painted Lady is a spirit, but again, we didn't really have spirits at all in this entire series, or this, this book, excuse me. Yeah. Very different focus. Um, oh no, koala goat or koala sheep, excuse me. And it is koala. Oh, yes, uh, is koala sheep. I kept saying goat for some reason. It's koala sheep, yeah. Nightmares and daydreams, yes. That one was that is a beautiful little, like you know, ball of fluff, yes. I definitely enjoyed their their presence there. And maybe there was another one, but like as of now, it's the koala goat or dang it, koala sheep. (laughs) No, that was definitely a very good one, absolutely. Um, that lying turtle I have been inspired by for years, but in terms of like marketability and adorableness, yeah, it's got to be the koala sheep. Yeah, I just feel like the way that they animated that lion turtle, it it feels so distinct from so much of this show. It's it's an image that I'll never really forget when I think of Avatar. It's it's always close to mind. It's so. grand, and yeah, no, it's very striking. And I, yeah, I'm happy with the, the, the thing there uh, with with that. Um, what was the other thing? Favorite episodes. Uh, oh, yeah. Favorite episodes. Well, I think that's pretty obvious for both of us. But you, you go ahead and say yours because I think I know what it is. Ah, uh, my favorite episode singular. <sighs> of this book. Sorry. Just yeah, sure. this book. I think there's three that I'm that I'm kind of locked in my, it's difficult for me to figure out which one. And I don't know if two of them won't surprise you. One of them may. Um, Number one that I would definitely be on my favorites list is the Avatar and the Fire Lord. And that may be my number one favorite. I, I think that thing was so good, but I am, I also of course love the same one that I'm sure is going to be your favorite, the Firebending Masters. Uh, But as a wild card, I'll throw in, even though it's heavy and, it's uh, it's ugly in its way. The puppet master, I that thing is, I I yeah that that's another one that just sticks out in my brain. I love the revenge element of it, the creepy horror element of it, and some of the imagery in there is so so strong that I yeah I, that's a contender for one of my favorites as well. So, dang, I thought it was gonna be the Southern Raiders because I just listened to that one again recently and it sounded like that was your favorite of this entire book well yeah yeah, maybe i'm forgetting but i did also really love that one yes (laughs) you were like that had a much more of a revenge story aspect i mean not that hama's wasn't it's just like i guess this one was finally like tara's uh, revenge story and so you i guess you felt that one was a little more compelling yeah i do love uh, it oh it's tough maybe i'm just in such a horror mood since halloween just ended but I love the, uh, the the creepiness of that episode. That's true. But no, yeah, the Southern Raiders, the more... Uh, okay, uh, I don't know. 
ask him i'll ask him again when we do the series overview no of course not i'll say right now in my mind i think the avatar and the fire lord is maybe the one at the top all right here, here oh here here's one uh firebender's fist to your head go Would which one would i throw into the fire <laughs> no 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 like this is you know firebender's fist to your head you're about to get like your head aflamed like uh, the Ghost Rider. Uh, which one? Which is your favorite episode? Go of this book. No, yeah. Now that you're the Southern Raiders was, uh, I'll go with. The, I'll still go with the Avatar and the Fire Lord. Maybe I that that thing. It was probably the one that brought me to, to tears the most at parts. I don't know something about that story. I just found so moving and and so beautiful. And it's just a self-contained episode. I feel like it was so so distinct. So. In a way, my favorite one is like an expansion of that. In fact, it's kind of a, I didn't think of this before, but it's, it's almost a, not reprieve, but it's, it's in a way a, a spiritual successor to the firebending and, or the fire Lord and the avatar, because it's both of their descendants in a way, or their successors. Um, like being with each other and relearning or just learning firebending. Um, and like I said before, I just love the fact that we've seen this, this element that is destructive by nature. It's been, you know, shown as being vile and even the people behind it is vile. The nature itself, like I said, is, or as, as episode states, uh, consumes and can destroy. And here they break it down to its fundamentals, go back to basics and have bring in a whole other, you know, way of thinking and philosophy stating, no, that's not what this originally was entailed. This all started off as being, you know, an element of passion and a bringer of life. And again, that episode always brings me to tears, especially with like the character arc of Aang's, Resolve to not use firebending being resolved. Um, that, that just, I don't know why that one always makes me tear up more. Uh, all the, all yeah. the episodes you've mentioned are also like fantastic in their, in their accomplishments, but that one just hits me in a different place. I can't say, you know, Avatar ain't because that's just the end of the series. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of like, um, all of those, those bits were great as well. Favorite favorite action set piece. I don't know if this was this is going a little too far, but like, what's your favorite action set piece, sir? Oof. Well, I think all the stuff on the volcano in the Avatar and the Fire Lord, uh, the emotions of that kind of fight, I feel like has more impact than say something like the Ang and Ozai fight. Even though the Ang and Ozai fight was so visually spectacular, just uh, the betrayal between those two friends after all that time had just carried such an emotional weight in the avatar and the fire lord so th that that one might be one of my favorite action pieces in the, the series or, or book three sorry <laughs> yeah and um in terms of that one it wasn't really a, a fight more of them i guess they were battling the volcano to yes. prevent it from again i i don't know why yeah that's true <laughs> so that's why i don't put it in there i mean it's a great set piece i get i did say set piece so yeah but when i when i'm talking about like oh, even though the even though the the ozai and egg fight definitely is is up there yeah oh, i 
trying to th- okay i gotta like quickly go through my head uh stuff on stuff in the um day of the black sun that was some fantastic like action stuff and even yeah. uh, the introduction of sparky sparky boo man as well with his combustion bending that is also really good and they got some good like set pieces out of him there but uh i think i definitely have to go with as some people pointed out on youtube i definitely have to go with azula versus zuko uh, in the Agni Kai battle, it was really good. Uh, just, just the setup, the la- the decision to use, like, have the music overtake all the sound effects and have the sound effects be almost muted or at least you know decreased, and have it be like a pure visual fight. Good grief! It was so artistically designed. I I love it. Yeah, no. Very, very good. Absolutely. And I'll even highlight the, the kind of climactic uh, confrontation in the Puppet Master when uh, Katara, when there's that huge display of her abilities. Or maybe that was the Southern Raiders. Now, no, that was the Southern Raiders. Now I'm thinking, I think I'm confusing some elements. Yeah, you're thinking of when she, when she stops all the, oh, I just had the guy's name in my head. Um, when you, When she stops like a bit of the raindrops to form like a field around them. Yeah, to like you know say you know who I am like that's yeah no you I know you would love that yeah even maybe that's not a fully an action kind of fight scene but just the uh, yeah that that confrontation between the two of them I think was had such a a grand and tense quality to it I that that one also really stands out oh yeah display of power like that's that's, yeah uh, no that that definitely is is there but I I'd say overall. There's been some incredible action through this whole book three. Really, really great. And and even to add more to the Azula-Zuko fight, it had been built up. Like, it yeah. had been built up prior to that. Like, first starting at uh, Boiling Rock and then going into Southern Raiders. And it finally all culminated in um, Into the Inferno. That's what it was called. No, wait yeah. that was, yeah, Into the Inferno, I think. Yeah. Starting there and then obviously... It was resolved by Zuko making the sacrifice to prevent Katara from being zapped, um, which was definitely a nice thing. Just through there. Um, here's another thing if I can ask going off of that. Do you think Zuko could have on his own beat Azula? Because this was one that I always had. This always irked me of like, because this is me not understanding. It's like, what the hell? Like, why didn't, you know, why didn't Zuko beat Azula? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, no, he, he won. Like I, I actually do believe in that fight that he did win. He wouldn't have zapped her with lightning. I think he would have like probably directed it away from her and just used redirection to show like, hey, you can't use lightning against me. Um, yeah. But as as soon as yeah, as, as people say, as soon as Guitar entered the fray, it was like now the battle was over. But I think Uzuko definitely had the edge in that battle because um, she was tired. She was tired and she was kind of getting desperate and she was not of sound mind so i believe that he could have beaten her but that was never the point <laughs> so what what do you think no yeah absolutely he had he'd won the fight and it was only through dirty tactics that she managed to turn the tables on him yeah where she was like all right well i lost the fight so i'm just gonna zap guitar and i know you're gonna redirect the lightning maybe he did redirect the lightning before i don't remember now um i don't think he did in Boiling rock but He's like, uh, she's like, yeah, I know you're going to do it. So like, that's what's going to 
make you leave. It's like, oh, for pit's sakes. Um, how dare you? Um, where else would you like to go, sir? Mm, I think we tried to do previously, like, what's our favorite, like, uh, visual episode? Which one do you think looked the best? Oh, right. Actually, yeah, that's the other thing. I, I forgot to thank you for reminding me. Uh, favorite... <laughs> Favorite jam episode and favorite oh, no. Moy animation episode. Um, I can actually see this directly because I'm looking at the Wikipedia and they do list them. So I can say that's good. That's excellent. Um, well, how about you throw out your first uh, Moy animation? What do you think? Well, I could easily give my favorite Moy animation episode to uh, Firebending Masters because that was them. Um, but I don't think I will. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Give me a second here to think. And I don't have the Wikipedia page in front of me, even though I should, but yeah, you can ask and I'll, I'll tell you, but I'll, I'll say my favorite Moy animation episode for visual speaking. And that would be nightmares and daydreams. Oh, just the, the malarkey and nonsense that went into that one, uh, was suited perfectly for them. Yeah. So much creativity. They played around with a lot of different styles and they really showed a vibrant kind of anime feel to it. And I, I think that was great. So I'll give it to that. There was one. I cannot. Was it? No, Sokka's Masters was JM, I believe. They really yep. made sure that'd be, that'd be uh, JM. But was... Oh, I just had it in my mind. Uh, was the headband, was that Moy Animation? Uh, the headband was once again JM. Darn, because that was a really good episode as well. Yeah, I know they they had something this season where I was like, oh, this is actually really good. Uh, this is because there was one that was, I guess it may have been Nightmares and Daydreams where it was playing to their strengths. What was ne- what was eight? What was chapter eight? Uh, that was the Pup Master, which was JM. Darn, seven. Uh, the Runaway Moy. That was a good one. That that had some comedy to it, even if it was a bit serious. The interaction with him was good. I think I'll go with yeah, the same as you, uh, because it actually because it, it it definitely touched on all their strengths of being not just like more anime like, but also just being how do I put like like just work because you know you notice that they could be a little bit more cartoony and a little bit more animated or or whatnot. So it was like. Yeah, because of how much of a farce or humorous as it was, and that's an episode in itself that could be questionable. Um, it was like, really, what was the what? What did we learn in the end um, of Aang learning, or yeah, just of Aang trying to cope with you know the fact the stress and this procrastination, <laughs> the like set pieces that they do delve into with like the koala sheep starting to chant and the whole <laughs> bit with Appa and. Uh, Momo, oh. you know, having a duel. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Oh, that episode's so fun. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Even if the subject matter is a little bit like, wait a minute, hang on. <laughs> Think about it. Favorite JM episode, sir. Favorite JM episode. This might be a situation where I have to give it to a cup. I, I can't fully decide what my favorite is. I have to go back and rewatch them. So I'll, I'll lay out my top three for them as well. <laughs> My top three for them, um, I think Avatar Aang has to be in the 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 contest there. Uh, so many just gorgeous shots. How, how could it not be in the, the running there? 
Um, I'd also say that the Ember Island players, even though it wasn't necessarily visually spectacular in that regard, so many of the uh, the sets that the, the Ember Island players put together for their stage show, it just was also so beautifully done that I feel like that has to be also in the running for one of the best looking for this this season. And then I'll also throw in um, the Western Air Temple because I feel like that uh, had some really, really standout visuals. I remember us praising that a lot as well. Yeah, I want to not just do uh, the, the Sosan's Comet arc, even though I probably should. Yeah, if we're, if we're talking about overall quality from them, it's hard not to factor in some of the stellar work. Yeah, because part three, is it the Phoenix King or is it Into the Inferno? I forget. Into the Inferno. Okay, thanks. Because Into the Inferno may like take it for the amount of like animation they had to do and how they hand drew every single frame of fire like on screen. Crazy. So it's like, oh, mother man. Oh, mamma mia. Like, goodness gracious me. Yeah, this is tough. This is one tough season because uh, it just kept yes. getting better and better and better. It's true. Yeah. Oh, and I'm just thinking of the sparky, sparky boom man fight in the Western Air Temple. Ba, ba, boom. Ba, Some ba, of that stuff ba, just looks so, so good. Yeah. <sighs> no, it's, yeah, no, it's, that, that, that stuff is really good. And I like parts of the Boiling Rock as well. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, the Ombu, I think, yeah, I think I, even though the Sosan's comic art, comet arc, excuse me, probably gets up there, I think I have to go with the Ombu Island players. Just for how, like, in a mundane, practical setting, they actually, like, I think outdid themselves. Yes, absolutely. For a, especially for a clip show. Like, maybe it shouldn't just be because of that, but, like, the fact that they got creative within the confines of a show that was trying to be creative, that's, I have to give it to them for that reason. Yeah, like Nightmares and Dreamscapes, they had a more played down kind of premise, or in a way more played up to kookiness. And they both came to play and delivered some really unique and, and exciting animation. Yeah, it's the mundane where we're kind of like given the praises because it just made it mundane. And also, I think you mean Nightmares and Dame Dreams. Yes, did I say Nightmare and Dreamscapes? That's funny, though. Stephen uh, King book. Yeah, I always mix up those two. <laughs> totally fine. Um, so, yeah, no, but but overall, I think Moy um, surprised me. They, they They delivered a lot more quality than... I gave them the initial uh, impression and now I realize that it would, it, I'm sure it wasn't their fault. I'm sure for some of those early episodes, they just had their budget stripped away from them for uh, yeah, the four part finale. So, cause they did the old masters and the old masters looked really good. So yeah, they uh, definitely, Oh yeah, definitely. They, they look good in that one as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if I have anywhere else to go for this. Uh, yeah, this book three overview. I'm I'm sure we have a lot to say for the the overall series overview. Certainly, although we've covered a lot of it in this as well. <laughs> not to our, you know, trying not to, but we yes, difficult in there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely difficult there. Um, uh, but I guess that brings us to a close for our our book three overview. And I got to say, we recorded this on the same night that we finished up with the finale of. Of book three and um and it was kind of whiplash i wasn't sure how we we're gonna get through this because yeah it was it was weird coming to this right after finishing that episode 
Oh wait, I got I got one. Best romance. <laughs> uh I mean it seems like it's yeah, pretty clear. <laughs> Meizuko? Uh I would say the best well, maybe me personally, maybe I enjoyed that one more, but yeah, Aang and Katara definitely had the biggest build up and maybe that's for the book overall overall series overview though. Probably. Yeah, no. So yeah. It wasn't like wasn't really much romance until the very end of the series there exactly yeah, i mean one one might be able to say suki and and sokka i think they like yeah i think they they well, i mean they were like a power couple the entire time yeah but like we said the, the characters kind of ended once they paired up this is true they were just there for humor i also admit that i, I was frustrated that suki didn't get to use her fans because sokka was like uh in, in phoenix King, sword and fan and she never uses her fans it's like what the flip yeah but thank you for joining me for this this book three overview and yeah i'm excited to discuss the the series overall without feeling constrained like we maybe had here a little bit and then on just a little bit of programming notes we are going to jump right after we're done with that into is it the lost adventures first the comic is the lost adventures and whatever else it's called it's you can look it up on wikipedia or the, the wiki yeah, maybe explain a little bit of what that is for people who don't know, which is me. <laughs> I have mentioned this beforehand, I believe, but yeah, just for you. Um, during the run of Avatar, Last Airbender from 05 to 08, uh, Nickelodeon had a comic, I believe. They had a comic line uh, of some sort, like their own personal, like Disney had their own comics back in the day, I believe. Um, and so whether, or maybe it was magazine, I don't, I don't fully remember. And whether it was written by artists of the show, uh, freelancers, or just like contracted people, uh, or other members of the writing staff, or just crew altogether over in Los Angeles, um, they started writing these like little little short story, like yeah, little like short comics, like really short, like you know, novella short, if not like shorter, like comic strips almost, um, like a longer than a newspaper strip, but you know, shorter than uh, kind of like, you know what? An Archie length uh, story, like a, like an Archie comics length story. You know, those aren't really too long. Uh, like only lasting like one or two pages. Uh, some obviously going longer, but yeah, more, more kind of like an Archie comic. And they released these in an entire, like, you know, book. And I think they've reprinted it several times over, but this is the one that whether they, you can call this canon or not, um, kind of similar to the, even if they're non-canon, like, you know, the little like Avatar chibi episodes, uh, which were a lot of fun. Uh, this is, yeah, this is something that I've wanted to, you know, talk about with comics and yeah, it'll be the first time for you guys. If you don't listen to our other channel, who are going to get to experience, um, good old novice elitist comic review. Yeah. We're going to try to, or at least I'm going to try to direct and augment because we tend to go uh, extremely overly long on these. Uh, not him, me. Uh, it tends to go. It's kind of they're kind of infamous. And uh, if you want infamous, go and listen to our very first comic review of uh, Justice League: The New Frontier, or DC's The New Frontier. Excuse me. Yeah, or was it uh, was it Superman for all seasons? No, it was uh, All Star Superman, which we had to separate into two parts, and they're both over two hours each. I said for you to do that, and that was the smartest decision uh, made that night. 
yeah, that. Oh boy, that one. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll these will be shorter runs. Hopefully, the, the comics themselves are shorter. So knock on wood. But um, and what are we gonna do after that one? Just uh, well, we uh seem to have, you know, two other comics on our hands. Uh, that'd be, you know, this was released, I believe, in 2013. So right around, I think, this is not a spoiler, but right around, I think, Korra, Legend of Korra Book 2 was coming out. I think around then. I could be wrong on that. You can look this up online. Um, uh, see, Avatar Last Airbender, The Promise, which deals with the aftermath relatively recently of, like, post-Avatar Aang, the episode. Uh, about what's happening in the world. And then we're going to follow that with the search, which answers the question of where is Ursa? And then following that, we begin Legend of Korra, book one, air. Oh, man. Yep. So join us for all that. We're very excited to uh, progress forward. And uh, Isaac, do you have any, any final words of wisdom for us? As we say goodbye to book three. And not the series yet, but Flame Yo, uh, ladies, gentlemen, those in between, and affiliated, thank you very much. And till next time, peace. podcast contains spoilers for all seasons of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Here we go again. Enter at your peril. We'll never come back again. It's got a death curse. We have such sights to show you. guess i don't know if this is for the series or if this is a spoiler um because the one thing that's always left me with a big impression was the lion turtles you know other words that he speaks about to ang when right about it was when he's uh about to do the energy bending there and that is you know you know in the time before the avatar mm. humans bent the energy within themselves what the hey does that even mean? Yeah, I feel like this is yeah, entering into potentially spoiler territory.
Well, I'm going to make it spoiler territory because I'm not satisfied with how it is, uh, how it's depicted in Book Two Spirits, where it's revealed that Light Lion Turtles were giving everybody uh, bending powers. I am not satisfied with that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been quite a while since I've seen it. So if you have a rant, you can feel free to go ahead on it, but I won't have much to contribute. Uh, yeah, no, at least prior to Korra, I was you know so i've been so fat i've written fan fiction about energy bending because it was like the lost art it was like okay i'm not saying it's the closest thing to like chi from dragon ball z it's not on that level i may have gotten it there i may have gone to those places every now and then but like you know i'm just thinking of the enhanced strength idea of like like everybody's iron fist um and then they but it it, it caused too many uh, it caused too many, uh, or it took sap too many people's like energies and whatnot. So they converted to, el- you know, com- uh, commanding the elements instead. So I'm just, I'm just always curious about that and where that, like, if that was just where that led, and if everybody was energy bending like each other. <laughs> uh, I'm just sorry. Um, that was my rant <laughs> of like what the hate was that all about. Yeah, I get to use the spoiler section again. There we go. <laughs> I gotta give you an excuse every time to use it, my friend. Why not? So, if Korra is 70 years after Sozin's comment, or, I mean, uh, the, the end of the series, mm. this means that in 30 years, and she's probably still gonna be alive by this point, that means in 30 years from when it ends, I suppose, or 29 or 28 whatever it is that means that someone's comet's gonna return mm. definitely want to see that comet and see what happens there yeah well if avatar studios will ever release their their first project maybe we'll finally get to some of that i mean it's gonna be the next avatar i know that for a fact but like uh i mean at least at this point i'm thinking like comic maybe for this i don't i legit mean like mm. you know cora when she's a lot older and yeah, seeing her having to deal with what the Sozin's comet looks like in on her timeline. Anyways. Yeah, just a side point before we continue. So as I was listening to, I listened to our first episode today, A Rambling Beginning. Um, and in it, near the end, we started talking about, or maybe it was in the, the book one overview. I can't remember which one. We started talking about, oh, like, let's talk some speculation about what's going to happen with the Avatar live action. Uh, series which was back in 2021 and there's still been yeah, very little movement on that show that we we know about well i mean they've announced when it is going to release they've really set photos by this point so i think stuff has definitely been updated uh since then yeah very little considering the time and we also were discussing like oh what's gonna happen with this new avatar studios acquisition like what or or beginning like what are we gonna get some news on that and now and three years later on that as well We've also had very little information put out. We know it's going to be called, or we know that it's going to be about Aang as the Avatar uh, in his like adult years, but that's pretty much all we know. Oh, yeah. this. Well, I thought it was a movie. Yeah, it is a movie. Yeah. Okay. And it's supposedly releasing in 2025, October something. So. Yep, I remember that because there's supposed to be another SpongeBob movie uh, released about that time or at least between now and then. Yeah, and maybe it's a good thing. I mean, we all know about the Lucasfilm, how they just rushed into production and, you know, they made things progress a lot faster than maybe it should. So maybe it's good that this Avatar stuff's been taking such a long time. 
I just think it's funny that we've had time to cover this whole series, uh, an episode every two weeks, and there's still been so little movement as far as we can see. I just think that's interesting. You know, while it definitely worries me, and there's, you know, maybe we should adhere to the old adage of no, no news is good news. Um, at least, you know, saying it's still being worked on. People can still be, you know, that can lead to speculation and hype and, you know, you know, tra- train derailment at the end when they're just like, oh, this sucks. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Um, I, you know, I'm actually okay with this because unlike uh, in, sorry, I'm going there, but in like MCU stuff, they there's so many articles that release nowadays that, you know, detail what a project is going to like, what, who's uh, acting in this project or in a project. And, you know, even uh, spoils the ending, like before the movie even comes out, spoils the um, uh, uh, post-credit scenes, which I guess is good for you. Cause you can at least go up, go and look at that later on. But it's like, come on, like, just can I see it myself and not get all this information regarding you know, whatever, and you know, going to Comic Con and all it's like every year and giving me every single detail. It's like I like the fact that they have said nothing, other than hopefully, like they're still working on it. Hopefully, yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm assuming, yeah. but I'm not sure. Knock on wood on that one. Uh, hopefully, um, but I just like I, I I don't know. I just like the opposite extreme in this case. Oh, by the way, I did see that there's talks that after Ang's theatrical film. Uh, they've got two more that they're planning for the next year, tw- uh, 2026. And one of them is supposedly, I didn't see it necessarily confirmed, but it's been said that that's going to be a sequel to the Korra series, as also a theatrical uh, animated film. So I guess we'll see what happens there. Yeah, no, that's, I don't, I don't see why not there. I mean, that's, well, I'll talk about this fully, but yeah, yeah I don't mind. Yeah. 